Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. As I said a little bit earlier, we are continuing our experience in Christ together, experiencing Christ together series. And, and kind of the idea uh, behind this series when we met uh, last year and started planning out uh, for this year, uh, we wanted to kick off this year talking about experiencing Christ together because at the end of the day, uh, Gateway here, we want to be known by who we are. Uh, we want to be, be known by who we are rather and over than, than what we do. Um, and we want who we are to inform um, everything about what we go out and what we do. So if you ask anybody in here or even if you go out in the community and ask what is Gateway about um, or anybody on our, on our staff or our church family, anybody who interacts with Gateway, we want them to know that we are about experiencing Christ together. You can say experiencing, you can say living, you can say being. We want our church family, this family right here, to experience Christ together, that it's a life, a lifestyle, not just on Sundays, not just something you come and attend, but something that you experience on Sundays and all throughout the week. And we also want everything to be focused, to be centered around, to point to Christ. We don't want to put anything in front of Christ. We don't want anything to distract from Jesus Christ, but we want everything we do here at Gateway to be pointing to and elevating the name and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to do it all together. Uh, We are a church family. We are a church body. Uh, We want everything we do to be about bringing people together because as we all know, isolation is not good for anybody, but we want to be a church family that is all about building bridges, bringing people together, and truly acting and behaving like a family does. And so if we're going to experience Christ together, then that informs everything we do. And so each and every Sunday, we've been talking about some of the things we do. And if you're in our new members class or you've been through it, you know that everything, every topic from the past couple Sundays has been uh, something we teach in that class. So we worship. Uh, We worship each and every day, Monday through, or Sunday to Sunday, each and every week, not just a, a Sunday attendance thing, but we want you guys to worship God with your lives each and every day of the week. And not only do we worship, but we connect. We have small groups. We have men's groups. We have uh, uh, women's groups. We have student ministry, kids ministry. We want everybody to be able to connect, and we always want to point you to connecting and experiencing Christ together through connecting and having lifelong relationships with others. We want you guys to serve. Uh, We want every member of Gateway to find a place where they can use how God uniquely designed you, the gifts that he's uniquely uh, given to you uh, to serve and to better this church body, whether it's holding a door and making people feel welcome, whether it's serving coffee and elevating uh, a worship experience and worshiping kids ministry, student ministry, wherever it may be, uh, we want Gateway to be about serving others. And finally, last week, we talked about leading, how we want everybody to lead the people around them, to lead your homes well, to lead your children well, um, and talking about experiencing Christ together and leading. And so that finally brings us uh, today to where we're going to talk about giving. Um, And this is something we do teach 
in our new members classes is something we want every member of Gateway, every part of our church family to be about, um, is to be about giving. And we, experiencing Christ, we experience Christ together when we give um, and when we examine our finances. And, and, and you guys know Jesus had a lot to say about finances. He had a lot of warnings to give through money. But today we want to talk about uh, what God expects of our giving, um, how God instructs us to give. And then we're going to give you, I'll give you guys a kind of a brief overview of what we teach here at Gateway about giving. Um, and also, um, but first I want to back up um, kind of zoom out from the giving and talk a little bit about what Jesus expects of his followers as a whole. Um, giving is a, is a specific discipline, a specific command we have, but, but what does God expect of every follower, of every person that wants to follow him, um, of everybody who wants to be his disciple? And disciple simply means a follower. So if you're going to follow Jesus what is his expectations? What does he um, ask of us? And we're going to look at that by examining a passage you've probably seen before, probably heard before, um, in Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to start in verses 24 through 26. But just to give you guys um, a second to turn there, in Matthew chapter 16 is really um, one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it kind of it kind of represents almost a, a new chapter, kind of a new page in Jesus's ministry. And so if you've been if you've been reading the book of Matthew, Matthew, up until now, you've seen Jesus have done some wild stuff. He's healed people. Um, he, he's, he's done ministry all over the place. He's recruited his followers, his disciples. He's, he's done all these things, but until Matthew chapter 16, he's been fairly quiet um, about who he is and what he wants to do. And in this chapter, he starts getting really specific about here's who I am, and here's what I'm going to about to do, and here's what I want my followers to do, and here's what I expect out of my followers. And so, we t and so he asked his, his disciples, he asked them, uh, who do people say that I am? And you have Peter's confession of you are the Christ, the son of the living God, not just a good teacher, not just uh, another rabbi for us to follow, but you are the Messiah. You are divine. In that, in that title of God, that means you are not just a man, you are the divine son of God. And just a couple chapters later, he starts telling his disciples, or a couple verses later, he starts telling his disciples that here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to go and suffer I'm going to have to go and be killed. And crazily enough, Peter, who, who Jesus said, on this, based on this confession of yours, based on this gospel, that I'm going to build my church on this gospel, a couple of verses later, we're going to talk about it in a sec, he actually tells Peter to get behind me, Satan, because Peter was coming and confronting Jesus and being like, man, like, what are you talking about? You can't go and die. That's, that's insane. And right after that conversation, we get these verses where Jesus says, here's who I am. Here's what I'm going to do, and here's what I expect of you as well. So in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus tells his disciples this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits its soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And so when we kind of back up and we see what Jesus expects of his followers, the, the, the first main point I want you guys to see is that if you're gonna follow Jesus, that when people wanna follow Jesus, the first 
thing he lays out for us is that following Jesus means denying yourself. And when you, when you back up and you read all the gospels, when you read um, about Jesus's interactions with people, you find that a lot of people expected Jesus to behave in certain ways. Um, you have the religious leaders of the day um, expecting Jesus to follow the law, expecting him to be kind of one of their crowd. Um, you had Peter in, in these very verses who expected of Jesus not to go and be killed. It's insane to me that, that Peter can confess Jesus as the, as the Messiah, as God. So you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, blessed are you on this confession, I'll build my church. On this rock, I'll build my church. And then a couple verses later, the same person who Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church upon this confession. He's saying, get behind me, Satan. Now, now why is that? Well, Peter expected Jesus to act differently. He wanted Jesus to be different. And it all centers around this idea that if you're a, if you're a Jewish person in this, in this culture, in this time, you were living under the rule of, of the Romans. They were a second-class citizen almost. They were looked upon as other. And all these people expected Jesus to free them from this situation that they found themselves in. A, a crazy one to me is John the Baptist. Earlier in the book of Matthew, John the Baptist goes before Jesus. He, he prophesies about Jesus. He tells people he's getting them ready. He's saying, Jesus is coming. He actually baptizes Jesus. He sees the heavens open up. He hears the audible voice of God, John the Baptist does, that Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He sees the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. John the Baptist sees all of this happening. It's confirmed. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. But a couple chapters later, John finds himself, John the Baptist finds himself in prison. And he's looking around and he knows death is coming. He's later beheaded. And he actually sent his followers to Jesus and he asked Jesus, are you the Christ or is another one coming soon? And this is a guy who saw, heard God. He saw it happen. He baptized Jesus. But because he expected things to go differently, it made him question who Jesus even was. And so when we place expectations on Jesus, when we think that Jesus is about our will, about my expectations, about what I want to do, then we're putting ourselves in front of what Jesus has for us. And what Jesus is all about, he's saying, hey, I need you to deny yourself, deny your own will, deny your own expectations, deny what you think is best for you and come after me and follow me. And I think it's funny, like when I read, when I read about John the Baptist, when I read the gospels, when I read Peter and I, and I think, how could they just not get it? I just don't understand. But then I think about my own life and, and my own prayers. And I think about how often I inform God of my plans rather than seeking him to see what he wants for me. Or how often I look at Jesus and say, hey, hey God, here's what I want to do. As Don said last week, will you, will you just bless what I want to do, what I'm about? But following Jesus means a, a, a constant, consistent self-denial. To look at Jesus and say, what do you want? What is your will for me? What is your plan for me? Rather than thinking that he's here for our needs. And so we, uh, following Jesus means self-denial. The second thing that Jesus makes clear is that disciples of Jesus follow him no matter the cost. Followers, disciples of Jesus follow him no matter the cross. He tells them, take up your cross and follow me. And we all know um, Jesus died on a cross. In this culture, we have, we have crosses um, as jewelry. We have crosses all over the place. It, it's almost like 
for us across as a reminder of the atonement, and rightly so. It's, it's a reminder of the work that Jesus did to bring us into a right relationship with God. But for, a, for, for people in this culture, for people in this context, if you were the disciples hearing Jesus say, take up your cross, what you're hearing is take on death. It's be ready for death. Because when Romans would execute people, they would put their cross, put a cross they built on their backs and make it carry them to the point where they would be executed. We read about this with Jesus. We see it in, in accounts of, of, of writings from that time that, that to torture and kill somebody, they would say, take up your cross, pick up your cross, and walk to the place where we are going to kill you. So what these disciples are hearing, I, I got to be ready for death. And what Jesus is saying is, and, and you see it, Jesus was really bad sometimes at giving altar calls. Um, when you read throughout the Gospels, Jesus would actually give a call People would come to him and say, I want to follow you. And he would sometimes turn people away. You have the man that said, Jesus, you know, I want to follow you. But first I got to go bury my dead, uh, my father. I got to go bury my family. And Jesus looked at him and said, let the dead bury their own dead. You come follow me. And another man came to Jesus and said, hey, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and said, uh, they had a conversation. At the end of it, Jesus says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And that man walks away sad because he had great wealth. All throughout the Old Testament people or New Testament, people would congregate to Jesus because he was doing wild things. He was healing people. He was raising from the dead. And then he would start teaching. And all throughout, we see examples of disciples would leave him. Disciples would walk away. And the reason being, and Jesus has a funny way of showing it in my life, and I'm sure in your lives too, is Jesus has a funny way of weeding out whatever is between us and him. Jesus can look into our lives and say like, like hey, this thing that, that's really important to you, I get it. It should be important, but it can't come in between our relationship. It can't come between Jesus Christ and me. And so Jesus looks at us and what he demands is, that we follow him no matter what the cost is, no matter if we lose a family member, no matter if, if it gets between a relationship with us and somebody else, no matter if Jesus expects everything to pick up and move, to go overseas, to go plant a church in a, in a city outside of Chapin, whatever it is, Jesus wants us to follow him no matter what. And this, this is why I absolutely love that we watch this movie, Insanity of God, by, by Nick Ripkin. Why I can't wait, and Judy, I'll plug it for you. Why I can't wait for the Global Impact Conference because it is so important for us as American Christians to remember, or as I should say, Christians in America, to remember that for some people in certain parts of the world, confessing Jesus likely will mean death, will mean separation from your family, will mean that your family could be killed, and they're ready and willing to follow after him. Persecution for being a Christian is all over the New Testament, it's all over the book of Acts, but it's all over the world today. So for some people in this world, following Jesus does mean that they are gonna take, out, take up their cross and that they could be killed one day. And for when we read these stories and when we look into the word of God, it, it is important for us to consider, is there anything between me and my relationship with Jesus? Is there anything, whether it's money, whether it's a relationship, whether it's status, whether it's power, whatever it is, is there anything between us and Jesus? Because Jesus wants his followers to be about him first and to follow him no matter what the cost is. And, and the third thing I want, I want to kind of look at is that we gain life by forfeiting ours. We gain life by forfeiting ours. Verse 25 says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is, to me, this is a great irony or maybe the great oxymoron of, of scripture that, we, that Jesus, he doesn't hide the ball at all. Like, like, he, like he tells us up front, this is how it's going to be. And, and what Jesus is saying is you can hold your life um, in your own hands. You can stay in control of your life. You can say, Jesus, this is mine. I'm going to be about what I want to be about. I'm going to do what I want to do. And Jesus says, you can do that. Like, like that's an option for us all. We can, we can stay in control. But in trying to save our own lives and trying to make ourselves happy and trying to gain status or wealth or, or whatever it may be for us, Jesus says, the great irony is you can gain the whole world. You can gain it all. You can have everything. You can do whatever you want to be about. But at the end of the day, you're actually gonna, you're gonna lose it. In trying to gain our lives, we actually lose our lives. But the great irony is that Jesus also says that by giving up our lives, by handing over control, by saying, Jesus, I want you to be in charge. I wanna be about what you want me to be about. I wanna be about your will, that in giving our lives up, we actually gain life. And so Jesus wants us to gain life by forfeiting ours, and we do that and, and it's amazing to see how true life is found when we actually give up control rather than hold on to it ourselves. And Jesus demands it. Jesus deserves it. He showed us it on the cross, the lengths he is willing to go for us to give up our lives and be in a right relationship with God. So if this is what Jesus expects of his followers, to give up control, to follow him no matter what the cost, to deny ourselves daily. If this is what Jesus wants of his followers and expects and, and deserves of his followers, then how does that pertain to our giving? Um, obviously, it puts us under the umbrella of Jesus is in control of our giving, and it means that we should examine Scripture to see what does the Bible have to say about our giving? What does God expect of us with our giving, with our finances? And there's a lot of places you can go, um, but I do want to talk about our giving as it pertains to the church. And one of the best uh, verses that, that we look at to see what God expects is 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 8. And everything we believe about giving here at Gateway is wrapped up in these couple of verses. So 2 Corinthians 9 simply says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency in all things and all times, you may abound in every good work. And so if you read the Old Testament, if you, if you read the law, you know um, that a tithe was required for the, for the nation of Israel. Uh, the people of Israel kind of operated a little differently. They were a nation, they had a king, and a tithe, what we call a tithe, was required of them underneath Old Testament law to give, to, to keep the temple running, to take care of the priests, and it was required of them. And they gave multiple times a year. When you do the math, it was actually uh, way more than 10%. So it was a, a big percentage of their income, but they were required to give it. And of course, when we get to the New Testament, we see a lot of the Old Testament law has been perverted in many ways. It's required, it's a burden on people. And under the new covenant, after Jesus, when he gives us a new life and a new covenant, he says that this, this offering is no longer required, but it should be cheerfully given. 
And he says, he, each one must give as he has decided in his own heart. As in, I'm not going to tell you what to give, but you must decide in your own heart. You must work with God to decide what we are going to give to the church, what we are going to give to the church body. And this isn't reluctantly or under compulsion. It's not required of you. We don't take up your income. We don't, we don't you know, ask for your W-2s. We don't want to do any of that. This isn't required of you but it's cheerfully given. In other words, the state of your heart in your giving matters way more than the amount that makes it into the plate or in the offering box or whatever. The state of our heart matters when it comes to our giving. And, and the formula goes that, that when we give, that it actually is better to give than to receive, that when we give, what Jesus promises is, and what God promises is, God is able to make all grace abound in you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So when we give, God does this funny things where he makes sure that if there's a good work you want to do, not just financially, but, but encouraging others and leading others and serving others, that God promises to make sure that you have the grace, you're that you have the tools, you are equipped to do any good work that he puts in front of you. And so if that's kind of the formula for giving, here's, here's to make it really clear, kind of what we teach in our new members class about giving and just serves as a reminder to make sure we're all on the same page of what Gateway teaches about giving. And the first thing I want to make clear is that your giving is between you and God. Your giving is between you and God. And so we want all members of Gateway, all people in our church family to go before God and to seek his will into what your giving should be into how you should give and what amount you should give. And when you go before God and you talk with your spouse and you work it out with your family, um, you, when you decide something, uh, you should do that. You should decide in your heart what you should give, but also you should work with God to determine your giving. But we also want every member of our church family to make sure that your heart is in the right place, that it's not an obligation, that it's not something you feel like you have to do, but you should work it out with God to say, God, I need a cheerful heart in my giving because there's, there's plenty of things to be cheerful about. And I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, but we should, the state of our heart is so important when we give because God is way more concerned about the heart than the amount that makes it. And uh, just kind of one thing we teach and one thing we recommend at Gateway, we do call uh, the money that we receive a tithe. But here's kind of the difference between a tithe and an offering. You kind of hear us say both things. Um, a tithe in the Old Testament meant um, a percentage of your income that was given to help the nation of Israel, to take care of the temple, and to take care of the priests. And like I said, it was way more than 10%. But we use the same word tithe today, but it actually means a different thing. When we teach tithe the gateway, what we recommend is that you have a regular set amount that you've decided between you and God to give. So we recommend that the tithe be regular. We, we want you to work it out with God how much you give. But it is important because it is a discipline of giving that it's a regular set amount. And that's what we refer to as the tithe. And that's what we teach at Gateway. But an offering, what we consider an offering, is anything above and beyond your tithe. So we take up special offerings throughout the year. At Christmas, at Easter, uh, when special needs arise, we actually say, hey, we're going we're gonna to give an offering. And that is above and beyond the regular tithe. And so we expect and we recommend for every member at Gateway 
to engage in the tithe, to give often and regularly to the church, but we also say we, we offer opportunities for offerings as well. And maybe you see it in your own life group, in your, in the, in your circles, in your communities, that there are opportunities to go above and beyond to take care of people as special needs arise. And so we teach a tithe regular and often and an offering um, above and beyond here at Gateway. And there's, there's one kind of thing I want to hit on before we end our time. And that's, it's, it's what I like to call the side effects of giving. Um, there's a book that I recommend to all, to all students, parents of students, parents of 6th through 12th graders called Confronting Christianity that deals with uh, the big attacks, the big questions that Christianity gets peppered with um, from the world, from culture, from unbelievers. Uh, confronting Christianity with, with big important questions that Christianity needs to answer. And, and it's funny when you look throughout time, when you look back in history, the different things that Christianity has been peppered with, the punches thrown at Christianity. For a long time it was, can you even trust the Bible? Is the Bible real? We need to find the historical Jesus. And it's shifted over time to where people today, and especially students today, are, are way more concerned that if Christianity has a positive effect on society, then just is the Bible true? They're concerned with that too, but what's may, way more important for this upcoming generation is that Christianity is good for culture. Is that, is that, is questions like, isn't, isn't the Bible, uh, doesn't the Bible oppress women or isn't Christianity diverse enough? We're way more concerned with the societal implications of Christianity rather than fact or, or whatever found in the Bible. And, and one of the big objections is that Christianity is, isn't Christianity bad for your mental health? Like, isn't living under these strict rules actually bad for you? And when you read these pages and you read this, books, this book, and it's funny to see how all these punches are thrown at Christianity, and time after time, Christianity comes back with, no, it actually is, Christianity is good for women. No, Christianity is extremely diverse. It's the most multicultural and diverse movement all throughout history. Um, and when you read the, the pages in this chapter, my favorite one talks about how actually psychology, mental health therapy has been a great friend of Christianity because it's proven many of the core tenets that Christianity teaches, like it is actually better to give than to receive. It is actually better to live underneath a higher calling than just making it up as you go. It, it, your work is more meaningful and fulfilled to you when you view your work as a calling rather than just something you have to do. It is actually better to live in community than to live in isolation. All these things that Christianity teaches time and time again are proven by psychology or therapists or whatever. But there are some amazing side effects of giving that I think should be considered. And a, and a few of those is that giving keeps us focused on the kingdom of God. That giving keeps us focused on the movement, on the advancement of the gospel rather than things in this world that, that can honestly at times just distract us. And this makes sense. If, you, if you're giving to an organization, if you're buying a stock in a company, if you're sending your money to something, you, you're concerned with how that dollar is spent. And so if you're a part of our church family and you're giving money, then what I think what that will mean is that you'll be focused on, is it being spent well? Is all our ministries working to serve our community? Is our, is our student ministry bringing in the next generation and teaching them up and teaching them how to read the Bible, how to share the gospel, how to live above reproach? And, and if you're giving, you do care way more about what this church is doing rather than if you do not. So giving keeps us focused on the kingdom of God. The second thing is that giving helps us steward well. Um, 
God's given us all the resources we have. Um, he's blessed us with abundantly with all these different things. But when we give, part of what that means is that we're probably going to have to make a budget at some point. And it's proven time and time again in my life, and I'm sure in your life, is that when you're more disciplined in your budget, when you actually make a budget, when you see your money coming in and money going out, then, then it helps you steward not just the finances that you're giving to the church, but your entire life as well. And so giving forces us to look at what we're doing, look at the money coming in, plan and work out with God the money coming to the church, and it probably will force you to look at where all your money is going. And in doing that, you'll be disciplined in much more than just the area of giving, but in every area of your life and being a better steward of everything that God has given you. When I got married, I never wrote a budget until I got married to my wife, and I thought I was good with money until our, our premarital counselor said, hey, we need you guys to do a budget. And I found out like a, a solid, it was more than a tenth because I remember, I, remember, I remember Catherine saying, you spend money, more money on food than you do on your offering. And I was like, not, not like groceries, like fast food, like how much I was eating out, but single guys got to eat, you know what I mean? But, but we get married and we form a budget together and we work together and it's made us more disciplined in every area of our lives. So giving helps us steward well. And the, and the last thing I'll say is that we can do more together. And that kind of brings us full circle to this idea of experiencing Christ together, that when we give, we can in fact do more together than more individually. I want you guys to know that like, like I can worship by myself, but it's better to worship with you guys on a Sunday morning. I, I can serve by myself, but, but I like serving better with a team and with a group of people. Um, I can read the Bible by myself, but I like doing it better with reading the Bible with everybody and learning from the pages of God. If, if, this, if Gateway solely relied on my giving, on my offering, we, Gateway would be afloat for approximately like seven seconds, right? And so giving, when we're doing it together, and the, from the seat you're in to the speakers you're hearing my voice through, from this building right here to the student ministry building to the kids ministry wing to the parking lot we parked in, everything that exists on this like 58-acre campus exists because of the giving of many in our church family. Nothing on this property exists because of the giving of one individual. But everything we do at Gateway, we do together. The seat we're in, the speaker, everything exists because we were, we're a church family who cares about getting, the, getting together, experiencing Christ together, and getting the gospel as far and as wide as the gospel can go. So everything that we do, we don't, we don't do it by ourselves, but we can do much more when we all give together to get the gospel out to the, our community, to get the gospel out to our state, and to get the gospel out to the world. So we can do more together. So in light of all that, there's a couple action steps that I think uh, we could all do, we could all examine um, and participate in this week. And, and just the first thing I would say really quick is uh, work with God to examine your giving. Just work with God to examine your giving. If giving um, is a matter between you and God, then I would say pray this week, seek God's will this week, talk to your spouse this week to see um, what am I giving, how regularly am I giving, if you need to start giving um, work with God to see, to examine your giving and see where you're at for this, for the past year, for this next year, um, to examine your giving. And, and the second thing, and I didn't know this cause I'm still sort of new, but the, but the other things is, is gateway actually does a lot, um, to help 
to help our church family out with our budget, with our giving, um, and also just to be financially healthy in all areas of our lives. And so we actually offer financial peace, and I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with Dave Ramsey, but he, ha- he has a course to help get people on track and in control of their money and in, in control of their budget. And we have people in our church that teach that periodically as the need arises. And so if you're interested in taking financial peace and, and taking this course to learn more about how to get in control of your money, how to manage your finances, to set yourself and your family up well, um, I've done Dave Ramsey. It's been very beneficial for me and my household. Um, and if you want to sign up for that, if you write on your connection card, I'd like to take financial peace, we'll take your information and we'll contact you when the next class is offered. And, and the final thing Gateway does is if you want help with your budget or if you want to talk to somebody about finances or if there's any questions you have, um, Ronald actually plays a big role in this. And there are many accountants in our church family who confidentially uh, work with you to set yourself up for success and to set yourself up with best practices as it pertains to not just your giving, but in all areas of your finances. And so if you write on your connect card, um, I'd like to talk to somebody about writing a budget, or I'd like to talk to somebody about my giving, uh, Ronald will contact you and say like, and set you up with somebody who can help you do that. Um, but everything we do, everything we're exp- as we experience Christ together, when we give, uh, we, we are truly better together. We can do more. We can impact our church body more. We can raise up the next generation. Um, we can teach them more about the Bible. We can reach our community. We can meet needs all over the place. And it's only because we are better together when we give of our resources. God owns it all, but he does expect us to give back. And I pray for each and every one of us, one of us um, that we're following Jesus, that there's nothing between us and Jesus, um, and that we are being obedient with the resources he's blessed us with. Would you pray with us?